Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And welcome to the arcade scene of the early 1980s. This is Under Consultation, and this is a side quest on our guide through video game TV history, Starcade. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, a podcast host for today. And I am your other host on this journey. My name is Ash Versus, and I am brought to you by... Coleco. This episode aired on the 27th of December 1982 and over in America Hall and Oates are top of the Billboard Hot 100 with Maneater and what do you get when you cross a starving actor with a dynamite red sequin dressed? It's Dustin Hoffman in Tootsie. Let me tell you about my client Michael Dorsey. He was a fine actor. Maybe a great actor. But for every role he wanted, there was a reason why he wasn't right. Sorry, you're too tall. I can be shorter. Nah, can't use you. Too short. Oh, I can be taller. Too moody. Next. Too old. Too stubborn. You're too much trouble. Too tough. Too temperamental. Too pushy. Too difficult. Michael, no one will hire you. Just watch me. Boy, did he show us. We're not just going to focus on the number one song and the number one film because... Chances are, unless we do something else in 1982, we're not going to come back to this year again. Even if we do another Starcade, this is the only Starcade in 82. This went out on the 27th of December, 1982. Mm-hmm. So let's just take a look at 1982 in film and music because, bugger me, it's a cracker of a year. Yeah, oh man, like looking through, like you get a box office mojo, look at the yearly breakdown and just like the biggest movies of that year. Holy, like every like I was getting down to like 58 and it was just so like, yep, that's a big movie. That's a big movie. And it is it, it features like quite a few films that were sort of, you know, they were box office bombs. They tanked at the box office. They were uh, critically panned, but have since become cult classics, i.e. Blade Runner, i.e. the thing i mean i.e. the dark crystal yeah and oh some little uh box film called et the extraterrestrial
Yeah, so E.T. was like the biggest movie of 1982, but like Spielberg had quite the year because not only was E.T. the biggest movie of the year, the second biggest movie of the year was Steven Spielberg's Raiders of the Lost Ark. And yes, it's not Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's just Raiders of the Lost Ark. That is what the film is called. And then when they released Temple of Doom, they did a Star Wars. They <laughs> yeah. decided to retroactively append a title because Star Wars was, of course, just Star Wars. Then it became Star Wars Episode Four because George Lucas can't count. Well, he can when it comes to his bank balance. But mm -hmm. yeah, they, they tagged on and you can actually see the changes in posters as well when they re-released Raiders of the Lost Ark and they just went, oh yeah, Indiana Jones. Although that Indiana Jones logo... It's kind oh. of iconic. I'm fine yeah. with the renaming, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I do it very much in jest. Like, I, I know there's a friend of mine who was mad as all get out when they did that Blu-ray release um, quite a few years back now. Like, they did the big Blu-ray release of all four movies, and it was titled Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark on the box. He was so mad because he was like, that's not what the film is called. The film is just called Freight. And he was just off and on about it. And I was like... It really doesn't matter. Mate, just make a custom cover. You know, missing spine art, replace the spine art, do whatever you want. It, it's okay. I was just looking down the list of like the biggest movies of 82 and it was just hit after hit after hit because it was E.T., it was Raiders of the Lost Dark. Tootsie, by the way, should note, like, you know, gets released right at the end of 82. But all told, with its like total box office, it would have been the third biggest movie of the year. It made more money at the box office than the number three did of 82, which was Rocky 3. You had Porky's at six, Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, Poltergeist, another... Well, I mean, you, you could probably argue that Spielberg directed Poltergeist as well. At least that's what Toby Hooper would uh, tell you. Yeah, it was a great year for genre films, though, because regardless of who directed it, I bloody love Poltergeist. Mm -hmm. I also quite like Poltergeist 2, and I'm okay with Poltergeist 3. <laughs> Poltergeist 3, by the time 3 came around, Zelda Rubenstein was just like, give me my hat money, I'll turn mm -hmm. up, and then I'm off to the craps table. And that that's kind of it. But yeah, Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan, a film that followed on from Star Trek The Motionless Picture and succeeded where that film failed by going, we're based on a TV show, Let's make this a bit more like the TV show. And it had a much smaller budget, which means they had to be much more tightly focused and become much more of a character piece. And boom, that's the reason why Star Trek is still going today. If they'd stopped after the motion picture, we probably wouldn't have had the original series films. We definitely, I don't think, would have had Next Generation. Wrath of Khan was what brought it back to life. Yeah, it really was. Like the slow motion picture is a, a bit of a blot on the uh, on the Star Trek canon. Like it was basically like, hey, Star Trek could be 2001 A Space Odyssey. Whereas like Wrath of Khan is really like, no, I think this is probably what a Star Trek movie should be. Like, as you said, it's a longer version of, of an episode of the TV show. I think that often happens to its detriment sometimes in Star Trek, because like Star Trek Insurrection feels like an extended version of a TV show, but it's a boring one and uh, not a particularly well shot one either. It looks cheap as for that movie. Yeah, the the, um, the strings were showing. The <laughs> yeah. strings were definitely showing there. But other genre films, in the same year that Clive Sinclair released the ZX-81, Disney got in on the video game craze themselves with Tron. I still don't understand why you want to break into the system. Because, man, somewhere in one of these 
Memories is the evidence. If I got in far enough, I could reconstruct it. You shouldn't have come back, Flynn. Hey, 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 it's the big master control program everybody's been talking about. I'd like to go against you and see what I've got a little challenge for you, Sark. A new recruit. I want him in the games until he dies playing. Oh, man. I adore Tron. Absolutely love it. End of line. Like, I, I, I get a massive kick out of it. I think it is dated quite horribly in some cases, but it has held up more than Tron Legacy did, which, you know, got released about 10 or so years ago. Uh, I, I, Tron Legacy is, is not a great film, and I, it, it actually it sort of shows as to why Tron was such a good movie. And like, I saw it when I was a kid and just absolutely fell in love with it. There is one bit of Tron Legacy that has aged very well. And I'm not talking about the CGI Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Daft Punk soundtrack. Oh, that's banging, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, is now, I guess, one of the last releases for Daft Punk as they've, they've gone their separate ways. And if you believe the video, one of them actually exploded. So there we go. <laughs> But you mentioned Poltergeist, Toby Hooper's uh, horror film. I mentioned that. E.T. Mm. Dark Crystal, Jim Henson flexing his creative muscles. One of two films in the 80s that would be very much a Jim Henson joint, very much what he had in his head, but also not really set the world alight or not really always find its audience immediately. The other being Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. And both Dark Crystal and Labyrinth are very highly regarded today. Dark Crystal, of course, got its Netflix sequel series, which also didn't get renewed because much like the original, it also didn't find its audience, which yeah. sucked. Bit of a shame, that one. One of the films that really jumped out for me when I was going through this list as a, as a huge fan of the franchise it is, and it's a very important one in the franchise as well. Friday the 13th, part three, or part 3D. On Friday, August 13th, an all-new three-dimensional process will put you in the picture. Whether you want to be there or not. Friday the 13th, part three, in Super 3D. Join Jason in the woods on his day, if you dare. Friday the 13th, Part 3 in Super 3D. Rated R. Friday the 13th, Part 3 opens Friday the 13th at selected theaters and drive-ins. Very important movie, if you're not uh, familiar with the franchise, it's the movie that gave Jason the hockey mask look. Like that, And from, from there on, that's what it stuck with. In the previous, it wasn't in the first one, in the previous movie, he was wearing a sack head. And I like the sack head Jason design, but Part 3 is an absolute beaut of a design. And like the... The hockey mask thing, it's its funny really because it's so iconic to the character and like that's what he's most likely known for. But its original creator, Sean S. Cunningham, hates the design because it wasn't in a film that he did. And when, they, uh, when he got the film rights back when he was working with New Line, the first thing he demanded was like, got to get him out of that hockey mask because I, that, that hockey mask was not mine. It was not from my uh, source material. Get rid of it. Speaking of threes, another important horror franchise that had a third entry in 1982, and one that is even more controversial than anything Friday the 13th may or may not have done, Halloween 3, The Season of the Witch. First, there was Halloween. Then the terror continued with Halloween 2. Now, Halloween 3, the night no one comes home. <laughs> The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Halloween 3. 
season of The Witch. Happy Halloween. Rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Check newspapers. Three more days till Halloween. 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 <laughs> Three more days till Halloween. Silver, Silver Shamrock. Ah. <laughs> I like the season of The Witch. I like it for a lot of reasons, one of which is it's got Tom Atkins in it. And really, can you have a bad movie with Tom Atkins in it? The answer is probably yes, but I will fight you. It's a film that feels like a Twilight Zone episode, which is fun as well, because the Twilight Zone got uh, got its reboot in the 80s. And it looks like a Twilight Zone episode from the 80s series, which in itself was, you know, was a controversial thing, because the 80s reboot of the Twilight Zone isn't great. And... Halloween 3 in that sort of vein kind of fits within that role because like it has its fans and the 80s Twilight Zone has its fans but yeah it's also got its detractors I like all of the original run of Halloween movies to a degree Halloween 3 is nowhere near the bottom of the list for me at least it's not boring which is more than I can say for part 5 Halloween viewing order so you've got 1 and 2 and then they can just be viewed as one and two, and that's its own self-contained little storyline. Then you can go one, two, H2O, mm-hmm. because that's also its own storyline. And then Resurrection. Resurrection doesn't exist. That's the bottom <laughs> of my list. Oh, God. That film is terribly awful. It takes a lot to go below the Rob Zombie Halloween movies just... Oh, that's a good. It, is it worse than Rob Zombie's Halloween Two? Because I would argue that Halloween, Rob Zombie's Halloween Two, is virtually unwatchable. And while Resurrection is bad, it does have trick or treat, motherfucker. And so there is some form of levity in there. I would rank it as worse than either of Rob Zombie's Halloween movies, purely because Rob Zombie had a vision. He had something he was going for. So I will give him credit for that. Halloween Resurrection. Why did they have Buster Rhymes? Because they couldn't afford LL Cool J. That is literally the reason they were like, well, can we get another rapper that wants to act? Yeah, I was going to say, it's like they put a rapper in the lead role because it was the style at the time. To take the ferry cost a nickel. And in those days, nickels had pictures of bumblebees on them. Give me five bees for a quarter, you'd say. Then there's the Thorn trilogy, which is four, five, and six. And I like those because I just think they are stupid. Yep. And Donald Pleasance comes back and earns some nice coat money and has a good old time and gets to scare the shit out of a little girl a couple of times. It's a fun old time. And then we're on to H2O, which is a definite guilty pleasure of mine. I actually think it's a really fun movie and probably the best Halloween movie they could have made in the era of Scream. Yep. And how much like Scream is it? Well, it steals a good chunk of the soundtrack because they fell out with the composer. Yeah, yeah. And it's got the same writer as well. Then you've got Resurrection, which never happened. <coughs> then you've got the Rob Zombie movies. And then you've got Halloween, which is a direct sequel to Halloween. And Halloween 2 doesn't happen. Yeah, it's a wonderfully convoluted like timeline of things that you can kind of piece together. It's it's almost like the Legend of Zelda of horror movie timelines. See, I was thinking it's more like a Crisis on Infinite Earths or the multiverse from the comics. Yeah. Because there is one or at least a couple of abandoned Halloween sequels which involved a kind of multiverse of Michael Myers. That's cool. It's actually detailed in the sequel to a book that I just finished listening to the audiobook version of, and which I'd mentioned to you a couple of weeks back or whatever it was, uh, Taking Shape, 
which is an oral history of the Halloween series and goes right up to the last Halloween. But then they did a second book, which is about twice the length, and it is purely based on Halloween films that never got made. I've had the Amazon tab open since you mentioned that. I've had it open just sitting there being like, gone, buy me now. You know you want to buy me. And I'm like, yeah, I will do. I'm going to wait till the end of the month though. But it is open and it is like sat there waiting for me to purchase. You want to thumb my pages. <laughs> yeah. But that also wasn't the only entry that year related to John Carpenter because we had the thing. It's origin. Age unknown. Intent survival. Destination man. John Carpenter's The Thing, the ultimate in alien terror, rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Check newspapers for local listings. Yeah, John Carpenter is, I mean, probably my favorite director in the world. And I adore. I love his movies, even when they're not great. Like I just get a, a, a warm sensation from watching a John Carpenter movie. And the thing is, it's not my favorite Carpenter movie. And it's a lot of like my friend's favorite, but it's not my favorite. I think that's, I think that goes to Christine because I just absolutely, Ooh. I love Christine. There's something, it's so wonderful. I'm not going to say you're wrong because everyone's entitled to their opinion. I think we definitely established that on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm in the fog camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think Ghost it's... Ghost Pirates. Ghost Pirates, <laughs> a killer cast, so to speak. And also one of the main reasons why I ever wanted to be a radio DJ. Because who mm. wouldn't want to be a radio DJ playing library music in a lighthouse? <laughs> okay, you've got killer Ghost Pirates every now and then and pieces of wood that flood and then spontaneously burst into flame but you're a dj in a lighthouse that's pretty cool uh, and like i but i the thing is such a great movie it's also unique in the carpenter verse because it's not soundtracked by john carpenter i did get to see him play it live though when i saw john carpenter in concert a few years back he did say he was just like yeah, I didn't soundtrack this movie, but I really like it. So my band's going to play it now. Here it is. But no, the uh, the thing scored done by Ennio Morricone, which he's an immensely storied composer and does many films. But if you played the thing score to someone and then played some of his other most well-known scores, so The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, Fistful of Dollars, all that kind of stuff, and said, these are all by the same person. Most people yeah. probably wouldn't believe you, but he gets the mood of the thing. The thing is also somewhat unique for John Carpenter in that it's a remake. Yeah, 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 from The Thing from Another Planet. Based on Who Goes There, a uh, John W. Campbell short story. And they have done a prequel to it. It's pretty terrible. Mm -hmm. It also confused things much like Halloween did, by just calling itself The Thing, and had some really cool practical effects that they decided to replace with CGI effects rather than do the sensible thing, which is just enhance the practical effects. But yeah, yeah. kind of like what I said with uh, Buster Rhymes in Halloween. It was the style at the time. Was just, like that was what people. Well, I say this what people. It's what the studios like to do was just like no, no, no. This needs CGI in it because that's what the kids want. That's what audiences expect from films. Practical effects are passe. 
um and if anything it just dates the film horribly like there's a lot of like movies in the early aughts and actually throughout actually not even just the early aughts throughout the 2000s that have dated horribly because of their effects and while it may not be my favorite carpenter movie I can guarantee I watch this every Halloween. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's sat right down there on my uh, on my collection of of uh, I've, I've got rid of all physical media. Basically, I have I've kept a handful of things that either I don't think will ever be on a streaming service, or in fact, I know will never be on a streaming service, or I have a sentimental attachment to, uh, or it's signed or something along those lines, or it's by a director that I really enjoy. And the thing is, one of those ones that and I, I upgraded, I bought the Blu-ray and everything. Um, and that is one that is always going to stay down there as part of my physical media collection. Now, the number one song was Hall & Oates' Man Eater, and you've sent me over the Billboard year-end Hot 100 Singles of 1982, and I'm looking down this list of songs, and I wouldn't throw any of them out of bed for eating crackers. There's some amazing songs on here, although probably one of the ones that leaps out to me the least is the number one. Yeah, Olivia Newton-John's physical beats out Survivor's Eye of the Tiger as well. And you'd have thought like Eye of the Tiger would have died. I mean, it did very well in the charts because Rocky Three did very well at the box office. So I think that kind of shows you how big uh, Olivia Newton-John was to pull in that kind of traction and overtake them. And at number four, we've got Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder ending racism with Ebony and Ivory. <laughs> yeah. But Jay Giles' band Centerfold, Human League, Don't You Want Me?, John Cougar twice, Jack and Diane and Hurt So Good, Steve Miliband, Abracadabra, Chicago, Hard to Say I'm Sorry, and it just goes on and on. Vangelis, Soft Cell, Toto. Vangelis as well, who did the soundtrack for Blade Runner, which was one of the bit. I was about, do you know what? I was about to say it's one of the big movies of 1982, but it isn't because it tanked to the box office because studio involvement messed that movie up something rotten. And I'm just scrolling down this list, and there are so many artists here that if I was just to like pick a random playlist on Spotify that it would recommend to me based on my listening habits. Oh, a lot of these would be in there. I mean, we got some Fleetwood Mac, Alan Parsons Project, Earth, Wind and Fire, Journey. Yeah, it's a big old... And actually, like, I love um, the Human Leagues, Don't You Want Me? Because, and you'll, you'll probably remember this, do you remember that car advert? You were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar when I met you. I picked you out, I shoved you up, and turned you around, turned you into someone new. Now, five years later on, you've got the world at your feet. Success has been so easy for you. But don't forget it's me to put you where you are now. And I can put you back down to me. Don't, don't you want me, baby? Don't you want me? Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you want a fantastic deal on a Fiat Punto? Don't you want me, baby? Of course you do. Whoa, 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 whoa. Call 0800 717 I don't remember that. And at the end of it, she drives off without him. And he's like banging on the window. He's like, oh, don't you want me, baby? See, the main thing that comes to my mind when I think of Don't You Want Me Now is the, um, the remix that was done. And I know for a fact that these guys used the multi-track stems from Rock Band to do this. But where all the lyrics are just you were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar and they vocoded it for the entire song (laughs) and the main reason this sticks in my head is because i used to do wrestling tech uh for a mixed promotion and one of the wrestlers that was frequently booked was lord gideon gray 
Oh, I know Lord Gideon, yeah. Looks like my cousin. There is definitely a... Maybe that's why either I get on with him or I get on with you. Could be either of them. <laughs> but he went through a period of coming out to a number of different theme musics and dressed up in different gimmicks and whatnot. One of which was the remix of Don't You Want Me, where it was just all you were working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. That was my mm. second favourite theme I played for him. My most favourite theme, because it is an unlikely song to use as wrestling entrance theme, was Travis, Why Does It Always Rain On Me? <laughs> Amazing. But it was like, what I found really interesting in just like not looking back at just the the movies of this period, I'm bearing in mind as well, this is three years before I'm even born. Um, just over three years. And um, we've also, I, I didn't just enjoy looking at the films and the music and stuff. This is a wonderfully fascinating period to look at for video games because we are just on the cusp of the video game crash of 1983. And a couple of things that happened, basically the things that caused the crash all happened within 82. We've got the Atari 5200 out, which has essentially replaced the 2600 ColecoVision. You'll hear a lot about ColecoVision in, in this episode of Starcade. ColecoVision. <laughs> ColecoVision. But you've got the Odyssey 2, the RCA Studio, the Intellivision, the Vectrix. We're not even in the Famicom. The Famicom comes out the following year. The SG-1000 comes out the following year. Like it's, We are like on the cusp of this whole balloon bursting before it gets reinflated in 85. And it's also crazy to think, just looking at Starcade and looking at the show, this show is not based around home games. Prizes are home games. This is based around what they consider the heart of video games, which is the arcade. Kind of got like, even like the, one of the prizes that they win is like being able to take that arcade home because it's the tabletop. Is it the Donkey Kong one or is it the Pac-Man one? It's one of the it's prizes. It's the Pac-Man. It's, uh, yeah, the, yeah, pa it's the Pac tabletop Pac-Man, which I remember a friend had a version of that when I was younger. Oh, that's cool. Probably a reissue, but it was mm. really cool. Yeah. So like it's, it, and we have an advert for ColecoVision at one point as well, because it's one of the prizes where it is like, take the arcade home. And that was like their big thing. That's what Atari's whole thing was. And like Atari's big release for 82 wasn't just the E.T. video game for Atari, uh, coded in five weeks. Bless, bless the man who did that. Like, he had absolutely, like, talk about working against yourself, but it was Pac-Man. It was the Atari 2600 version of Pac-Man about, like, finally, Pac-Man, bearing in mind as well, is the biggest arcade game of 82. You look at, like, the, the big games of each month, it is Pac-Man month after month after month it only gets unseated a couple of times it gets unseated by zaxxon at one point and the other game to unseat it from being the biggest game in america is ms pac-man so pac-man fever has gripped america in 82 so atari are like latching onto that and they have todd fry recreated to be able to play at home and he he couldn't do it he could not replicate pac-man from the arcade onto the atari 2600 he tried and I think that with the limitations that he had, he got the best thing possible. And what I found really interesting, like when you start dive into the, the history of this, people always talk about the flicker effect and like how it's like it's it's really hard to play because it's flickering. But it has to flicker because the Atari cannot handle all four ghosts being on the screen at the same time. So essentially what you're getting is one ghost on screen for a frame, another one on screen for a frame, and then another one on screen for the frame. And basically just like every four frames, it just it just uh, changes between which ghost is being shown on screen. 
and that's what creates the flicker and that's what creates this sort of like very awful playing experience the only the other thing to note about the atari release of pac-man and i and and because this is jack trammell like at his best in terms of like the madman that he was in charge of atari atari had sold 10 million atari units there were 10 million 2600s in america that had been sold he ordered 12 million copies of pac-man to be made because his argument was every single person who owns an atari is going to want a copy and we're going to sell another two million ataris on top of it so that people can play that at home and he was i mean he wasn't right (laughs) because in the end it sold it sold 7.2 million copies and then the other as you know, quite famously now went into that New Mexico landfill. That uh, there's been like dozens of documentaries that have been made about that uh, ever since. But yeah, like it is, this is Atari at the top of the mountain, and they're just about to collapse. Whilst he wasn't right, I do see his logic. Yeah, like I can see, I can like I can see video game companies today doing that um i can see them going okay we've sold x million nintendo switches we're releasing we're releasing the next mario we're gonna get y copies of mario made we reckon we'll sell a bunch more either as bundles or pack-ins or whatever but they've got to take into account digital downloads now Mm -hmm. i own more switch games as a digital download than i do physically it's actually the only platform console where that's the case and it's purely because there usually isn't much in the way of a price difference, if any. So I'm just like, well, particularly in the past year, which is the period of time I've had the Switch, it's a case of, eh, I can't really go anywhere and buy them. So I guess I'm getting the download. But there. Yeah, I had the same thing over the Christmas periods where like, I had some money to spend. So I was like, well, I'll just go into the download store. I'll just go into the PS4 store and get some. And that's where I got Doom Eternal. I didn't buy the physical copy of it in the end. I just downloaded it. Last thing I mentioned just before we dive into the show, because I know we're desperate to get into Starcade. When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? I did have a look at what was airing in the UK at this same period of time. On December 27th in the UK, it was the television premiere of Moonraker on ITV. I don't really have much to say about Moonraker. <laughs> it's not a good film. No. Is it the worst Bond film? Mm, jury's out. Yeah. The following day, BBC would have the uh, television premiere of Greece, which is quite cool. But I thought I would definitely make note of this. December 2nd, 10.2 million viewers tuned in to watch Only Fools and Horses, A Touch of Glass. the chance I've been waiting for. Now don't let me down, Rodney. Now don't let me down. All right? All right, Granddad, we're ready. You can start undoing it now. He's coming, girl boy. (laughs) (laughs) One more turn, Dill. Now brace yourself, Rodney. Brace yourself. <laughs> Holy shit, that was 1982? Yeah. How long did Only Fools and Horses run? <laughs> it ran forever. This is Starcade. 
TV's first video arcade game show. A game show for today. And here's your host, Mark Richards. Welcome to Starcade. Our two players have been practicing up for today's exciting rounds of competition, and they'll be competing against each other for exciting prizes by playing the newest and most exciting video arcade games in the entire world. Players, are you about ready? Have you warmed up enough? I'm ready. How about you? I'm ready. All right, let's go play Starcade. This is Starcade. It's TV's first arcade TV show. A show for today. This show is wonderfully American. It's wonderfully American. It's wonderfully 80s. It's wonderfully commercial. Never mind McDonald's Presents Games Master. There is a list of sponsors at the end of this episode. Oh, yeah. Just in case you don't catch the numerous amounts of product placement and adverts that occur throughout... This is the very first episode of Starcade, but it's not the first attempt at Starcade. There were a couple of pilots, the first of which was a completely different game format. Like it was it, it bore virtually no resemblance to the show we see here. Uh the show we've got here, it's one-on-one, two people against each other, rounds of questions, rounds of games, final challenge, final round, you win the big prize or you don't. Hmm. The original had 24 players across three rows, so eight players per row, and all three rows featured a different arcade game. So in the case of the first pilot, the first row was Defender, eight Defender cabinets. The second row was eight Centipede cabinets. And the third row was eight Pac-Man cabinets. Each player would then have 30 seconds to try and accumulate the highest score possible, and the players with the highest score in each row would face off in a final round to play, uh, in the case of the first pilot, Berserk for the grand prize, which was their own copy of Asteroids. Like, not an Atari cartridge, the freaking cabinet, the arcade cabinet, and an Apple II computer. Those are some big prizes, man. That's a big-ass prize. Like, that is Smash TV levels of fabulous prizes. But the overall winner, it doesn't end there. They would then go on to play a brand new arcade game against a celebrity just for fun, just for the laughs. Just for the laughs, mate. (laughs) Early 80s bants. Yeah. But, hey, 1982 Celebrity Challenge, Luke. And I think, actually, that is what this show is missing. It's the Because the format of this show isn't... It's not great. It's essentially just like, here's a question, now play the game. Here's a question, play the game. There's a bonus round. Here's a question, play a game. It's very repetitive like because it's just there to be, it's one big extended advert more than anything. What I, I, I kind of prefer the idea of the original pilot's version of this show. Like I think that's a, it feels like that would be a much more interesting show to watch. Yeah, I'm wondering, I, I'm basically they shot multiple pilots just to try and get it picked up um they shot four pilots for nbc overall and then eventually it was picked up by ted turner not a man afraid to throw some money around in 1982 and begun his life on tbs in december of that year which is of course where we come in on now this first season had 24 episodes it was hosted by mark richards who does not like video games does not understand video games does not know what he's doing there And from the first episode, you can see that. He didn't last. The second series, he was replaced by a guy called Jeff Edwards, who hosted the show, 
for a total of 109 episodes. Yeah, when you go through the comment section of people watching, like, you know, watching these on YouTube, it is just like, I do not remember this host whatsoever. It is like, I remember the other guy. He was a veteran game show host, but he had no experience with video games. He'd never played a video game before accepting the job. It was just not on his radar. And at that time, I can understand why, because video games were not on the radar of most adults. They had important things to do, like filing taxes and going to Applebee's and smoking. Apparently, he did become a fan once production began, but I guess just couldn't sell it on screen. I don't think he's bad in this job. He's got he's got the Dexter Fletcher luck, let's be honest. That's what's going on here. What he is, he's exactly, he's just a TV host. He's a TV host hosting a TV show. And he is competent at that, but like... When you, you, you're going to hear a lot of clips of him in this show. He's as milk toast as they come. He is just generic man with a microphone hosting this show. Like there's no pizzazz about him. Um, and I think that's his biggest fault, really. It's just like, hey there, Heidi, you're going to answer a question now. Here's your question. Here's a question about Pac-Man. You got it right. Okay, what game would you like to play? Let's play a game. He has got the cadence and the style of basically all of the generic hosts that were doing TV shows in America. The ones that lasted were the ones who had something different, like the Bob Barkers of the world. In fairness to the dude, he did actually try. And maybe down the line, we might do another episode of Starcade because it is a chance to look back at a period from way before Games Master. But during his run on the show, not only did he start to play games, he started to do the legwork. He started to learn about the games that he was going to be presenting. He started playing them. He started reading gaming magazines. And he even started to provide his own little hints to the contestants before they played the games. He put more effort in than Andy Crane did on Bad Influence. I was going to say, doing the research, <laughs> he put more effort than Patrick Moore did it. <laughs> and apparently, he did remain a fan of gaming until his death in 2014. So I'm glad that despite the fact that he lost the gig, it didn't diminish the enjoyment he was actually now getting from gaming. Yeah. So kind of a bittersweet bit of a story. But that was after 24 episodes. We're here on season one, episode one. And boy, this this is going to be a... This is going to be an experience, Luke. I am, um, for the most part, I quite enjoyed this experience of watching this show. But it's not... um. I don't, know, maybe I don't want to put my cards too much on the table there. It's not a good show. <laughs> it's very much of its time, I would say. I would somewhat agree. I mean, I did. I really enjoyed this because it's just so weird and so American. But it's also that kind of American game show, which you almost don't believe actually existed. It was just the sort of thing that you would see parodied mm. in film and television. Like, my brain's going to National Lampoon's European Vacation and Pig in a Poke. It's that kind of cheesiness. It's that kind of just over-the-top nature. And also, after three seasons of Games Master, we're used to seeing adults taking on children at video games. But here we are in 1982, and we have two very, very different contestants. Let's meet our two players. We have John Cantu. Hello, John. Hi, how are you? Nice to have you with us, John. And your opponent is Heidi Starfield. Hi, Star Heidi. Hi. How are you? Okay. Good. Let's talk to John a little bit, because he's bigger than you are. John, I hear that you want to be a millionaire within five years. How do you plan to do that? 
Uh, well, not by hard work, I'll tell you that. Uh, uh, basically writing. I do, uh, I'm a comedy writer, and I intend to write the, uh, a best-selling novel that I can convert to a movie. And oh. you know who you look like? Remember Jerry Lewis, the nutty professor? Doesn't he, folks? The nutty professor. <laughs> That's who you look like. And you look like him, and Heidi here looks like Annie, don't you? Yes. You've been told that many times, and I understand you're uh, also on call for the Broadway part of Annie, am I right? Yes, you are. Can you sing that one song everybody knows? Yes. Just a little bit? Yeah. All right, you're going to audition right now for us, okay? Here we go. Heidi. The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow. Good. All right. That's what... All right. Heidi and John, shake hands. Get ready to play Starcade and take your places on the podiums, if you will, please. I mean, you said you text me saying, like, why is Stephen King playing arcade games against Annie? And he proper does look like that era of Stephen King. Mouthwash era Stephen King. Yeah, mouthwash, when... yeah, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, then you have Little Orphan Annie, a girl that is tiny, young, red-haired. She looks like Little Orphan Annie. You know she looks like Little Orphan Annie because they say she looks like Little Orphan Annie. She's heard this before because guess what part she's auditioning for on Broadway, Luke? Oh, she's auditioning to play Little Orphan Annie. And we know this because they make her do a little mini audition. Now, why don't you sing a song? Sing that song that everybody knows for the audience at home. The song that everybody knows, but you don't know its fucking title, Richard, do you? (laughs) The sun will come out tomorrow. And she sounds like every American girl that sings that song. She does nail it. Like, I would just go. Absolutely. It's our run. I did check. She didn't get the part, which oh, I'm kind no. of like, I was, I was really hoping I'd do a bit of digging and find that she actually went on to star on Broadway or actually at that point, it wouldn't have been Broadway. It would have been the first or second national touring company. Yeah. See, I did do some research into Little Orphan Annie. Did you find out if John did become a millionaire? No. <laughs> yeah. But I think he did have a career in television afterwards. It's a little bit complicated because there's a couple of different IMDb entries that could be the same person or might not be. But if nothing else, he probably could have made money impersonating Stephen King for after dinner speaking. I did have a theory that he was a ringer on this show. He gets all of the questions right, spoilers, but he is... He's perfectly fine at most of the games, although he doesn't know what one of them is called. And I'm not saying that he is not a games player, because I think that he very much is. He just, he feels like a ringer in this so that we can have the kid win. I'm not sure, because when you see some of his gaming technique, and particularly his button technique... On Time Pilot in particular. His button technique is that of a seasoned pro. There's a guy that's going to have carpal tunnel within a few years. He knows what he's doing on that one. But I did think... Given this is also the first episode, I thought they both might be ringers because you've got a guy here that's a writer, a bit of a comedian, and he is very comfortable on camera. He's popping jokes and throwing out little one-liners, which Richard picks up on and goes, oh, yeah, comedian. And then you've got Little Orphan Annie, who is a child hoping to be actress stage presence. You wouldn't know it quite so much because she is much more sheepish. Yeah. You can understand why, because as sheepish as the kids were in season one of Games Master, because they weren't used to cameras being around, this was 1982. But apparently they've been put together based on their games playing ability. Like apparently they're, they're about the same level. And I would wager that's probably done by play this game, see what score you get. 
and we'll just sort of match up the people who've got like a similar score on this one game and you'll be our two contestants. Well, one of the things, and again, skipping ahead a bit, one of the rounds is you have to score higher than the median score of 20 games players. And I was wondering, did they get that median score by getting all the various contestants to play those games? And then that served two purposes. One is setting the goal and the other is allowing them to match up the players. But also they probably looked at the scores, then looked at the two of them and went, oh, this is television gold. We're going to have to get her a box because she has to stand on a box to get behind. Well, I mean, to be honest, she always needs a box for some of the arcade games, but she definitely needs a box for the podium. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to have five games on the program today. You'll both be playing three of the same game and the high score gets to play their choice of the fourth or the fifth game for the grand prize, which is your very own video arcade game. When he just starts like spewing all of this out, I was like furiously taking notes and I was like, ooh, I'm I'm pretty much just going to have to watch this as it goes and I'll follow along from that really, I guess. It's a perfectly simple system if you're the one that wrote it. Yeah. Do you know what it ruins? Like, I don't know if you're a Friends fan at all. There's an episode of Friends much later on uh, in the, the series timeline when uh, Joey is auditioning to host a game show called bamboozled and it has got like the most complex set of rules and when he's like testing it out with ross and chandler they're like this game makes no sense but the more they play it the more they get it and they're like oh this is the greatest game i've ever played but when he goes into the audition they basically be like now would you like to pick a wicked wango card or spin the wheel of mayhem uh joey didn't your agents give you the revised rules we've eliminated all that no wheel no cards why why uh, well, the game was too complicated and research showed people didn't follow it. Well, what's complicated? You spin the wheel of mayhem to go up the ladder of chance, you go past the mud hut through the rainbow ring to get to the golden monkey, you yank his tail and boom, you're in Paradise Pond. <laughs> yeah, all that's gone. And it does mean that whilst this is the first competitive video game television show, it is also very much a standard game show. Yeah, it, it, It's not Games Master, but it definitely holds the title of first competitive video game TV show, even if we never got it over here. Doesn't preclude its existence. And here's Kevin to tell us what it, what it is. Kevin? It's Eyes, a watchful game of wandering eyes furnished by Rockola. That's the prize. One of you could win it today on the program. Now, this looks a lot like Pac-Man. I've never heard of Eyes before, but it proper looks like Pac-Man. It's kind of like Pac-Man, but with some shooting elements. Uh, it's uh, it's actually an American-developed game. It was made by Digitrex Techstar and published by Rockola, which is nice, yeah. such a great name. Uh, basically, the player controls an eyeball in a maze. Much like Pac-Man, the goal is to collect all of the dots to advance the next level, but in eyes, the player shoots the dots rather than eating them. They are chased by computer-controlled eyes, which also shoot at the player. And shooting a computer eye gives points and removes them from the level, but it will reappear a short... I mean, basically, it's Pac-Man with a gun. Yeah, and eyes. Well, no, because you think about what happens to the ghosts once you eat them. I suppose, yeah, they do become eyes and then go back to the middle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just right. cut out the middleman. <laughs> yeah. As the game progresses, more computer eyes are added. So actually, it does go one above Pac-Man because Pac-Man did restrict you. You had the ghosts and that was your lot. They might move faster. The maze might be more complicated. But no. The game adds more eyes to the level and they take less time to shoot the player. They move faster and there are eight different mazes. 
So it was a Pac-Man clone, but they didn't just sit on their laurels. They did try and at least avoid a lawsuit. We have two rounds of competition. There'll be two games in round one and one game in round two. And the winner of each round of competition gets to play the bonus game for some prizes. So right now, let's find out what the five games are on today's Starcade. Kevin, if you will. Mark, game number one is Time Pilot, an exciting flight through time. Game two is Tutankham, a treasure search through dungeons. Game three... Burger time. Help Chef Pepper build a burger. Game four is Blueprint. Mean Fuzzy Wuzzy meets up with JJ, our hero. And game five is Swimmer, a wet and wild swim for treasure. Ooh, one of these games has a special bonus prize attached to it. Yeah, so we get told that the audience at home is Swimmer. Uh, That is the game. So if you pick that, that's when you get the bonus prize on. But before we get to that, we've got to have a question first. In the game of Asteroids, the player controls a a triangular spaceship, or B, a disc-like saucer? John? A, the first one, the triangular shape. You got it. That's what it is, a triangular spaceship. And I, what I loved about this is that he's sort of you know, like, what is the shape of the ship in asteroids? Is it A, a triangle-shaped ship, or is it B, like a square-shaped ship or something like that? And a disc-like saucer. That's it, a disc-like saucer. And <laughs> John buzzes in, has forgotten what the options are, and he's just like, it's the first one. It's whatever the triangle. It's the triangle shaped one. He's like, yeah, that's correct. That is what the answer is. If they were plants, I suppose we're lucky he didn't go. It's um, uh, line. Well, I, we almost get that later on when he picks out the second game. But we'll get to that when he doesn't know what it's called. He doesn't know what his first game is though, because he's picked to play time pilot. And I like his line of just like, well, let's stay in the air. I'm picking time pilot. But Kevin, how do we play time pilot? If you've ever dreamed of a journey through time, get ready because you're about to become the time pilot, racing your sleek jet at mock speed, encountering a century of flying machines from the 1910 biplane to the UFOs of the future. Rescue parachuting pilots for extra points as you race through time. A hundred years will pass before the eyes of the time pilot. Now he says let's stay in the air, but Asteroids is in space, Time Pilot is in the air, and this guy's meant to be a writer. Hey, come on, man. I, you know, he's going for something. It's a very similar type of game, I guess. You know, you are like in a little ship in the middle of the screen, shooting at things coming towards you. Mm. <laughs> I'm clutching at straws on behalf of John here. I like having Kevin. This is nice. Yeah, it's cool, isn't it? It's nice to have a voice in the sky. It's like <laughs> yeah. he's... He's got some silky pipes. He's got a great voice to him. He's like, it's time, pilot. Take on the role of a flight ship going through various points in time. But anyway, time pilot, this was a Konami game. It looks like it as well. And the game is, yeah, you're flying in the sky. You're engaged in aerial combat. The player-controlled jet flies around the open airspace, and it's got an infinite scroller, so you'll never hit the edge of a play area. And each level is themed to a different time period. This one didn't just stay in the arcade, though. This got ports for the Atari 2600, the MSX, and ColecoVision, (laughs) all of which came out in 1983. And it had a sequel as well in arcade, Time Pilot 84, which, for reasons known only to itself, doesn't use time travel at all. Hmm. It's an odd one. Well, it does. It uses it once. Everything's in the future now. Right. So okay. I guess the time pilot is the player because they're looking into the future. This makes about as much sense as John's link. So we'll we'll let it go. 
Yeah, there's a lot of chat of the, of the time traveling elements about this game. And, you know, you're going to see various different things like you start off with sort of like these World War II bombers and then you go through to uh, the UFOs of the future. But he's only got 40 seconds on the clock. We are only ever going to see one level of this. Absolutely. And you think we've seen the back of some tight challenges now we're done with season three. Good golly, Miss Molly. 40 seconds is not a lot, especially as sometimes it seems to include some of the pre-jingle. Also for the fact uh, that you mentioned, like, you know, it sometimes in- includes the little, like, bleepy bloops at the start. When you die, because obviously the game has got to, you know, like, restarted sprites and everything, he loses five seconds each time he dies. And he dies twice. So of his 40 seconds, he loses a quarter of that just by waiting for animations to start up again. Yeah, I mean, basically, he dies with five seconds left on the clock. And as a result, that's it. That's his challenge over, really, because by the time he respawns, it's all gone. I do like that they don't actually make it a single life challenge because, I mean, particularly as we're going to see with some of these challenges, we would have very, very short challenges because yeah. these games were designed to eat quarters. They wanted you to die as quickly as possible. So going for the uh, free play option, I think, is very, very smart. Yeah. He is rocking this cabinet something fierce when he's playing it, though, because he has got a great grip technique on the joystick and he's got like a claw like structure round the button. And he is ham- like he's hammering it before the Ready Player One has even gone off screen. And then this cabinet is rocking all over the show. This is like watching this is like watching the pinball wizard sequence in Tommy. This is just like, it's like, ding, 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 ding. He's in the zone. It's kind of cool to watch because those arcade machines are not light. No. And yeah, he's got, he's also got a really interesting joystick technique, the kind of ball in the palm technique. Works for shooters, doesn't work so well for platformers or fighting games, but this kind of uh, free roaming top down shooter, it's kind of cool because you're actually getting fairly minimal movement with your hand and you're reducing strain on your wrist as well might build up callus's mind he doesn't do too badly there he gets 4200 points which feels like a pretty solid score and it made me slightly concerned for heidi because heidi goes up and she dies instantly oh god yeah the game starts and she's dead four seconds into the challenge she dies and then she dies again and i watched this i was like man john is going to absolutely run away with this if if heidi's going to keep going on there and then for whatever reason, she gets she just starts racking up points. Then she hits this massive ship at the end and jumps up to 4,400 points and then ends with 5,000 points. I think she lucks out by just going in a slightly different direction to John. Uh, John kind of went in kind of circles a bit, kind of went over the same playing area a bit. There was a certain amount of enemies coming to him. Whereas she did go off in a direction, and I'd imagine, like a lot of games at that time, the further you go from the starting point, the more difficult enemies you encounter, but also the more points they're worth. So mm-hmm. whilst John's technique was a very good way to quickly rack up points, her strategy, deliberate or otherwise, it paid off. You should be very happy right now because you have 5,000 points, and that means you're ahead of John as we finish our first round of competition on today's Starcade. And we'll be back with more of Heidi and John and Starcade after these words. What's wrong, Amy? I've never done this before. Why me? Oh, you'll be terrific. 
But millions of people will be watching. Don't worry, we're rooting for you. Listen, it's, it's fun to put snap, crackle, pop into your morning. My very own cheering section. Like we said, you'll, you'll be, be terrific. terrific. Kellogg's Rice Krispies, part of this nutritious breakfast. <laughs> hey guys, what's wrong? We always cry at weddings. Arcade players, get ready. The new Atari 5200 Super System is here. With a controller so advanced, it plays arcade. Graphics so real, it looks arcade. With arcade hits, you can't play on any other system. No other home video system can touch it. The new Atari 5200 Super System. It's as good as you are. Maybe even better. Next time. Welcome back to Starcade and the second half of the first round of competition. And Heidi, you're ahead by 800 points as we go into our next game. And there are four games remaining, and still one of those four games has the bonus prize to it. So good luck to you. Here is your next question. Well, we come back from the first of many ad breaks that we get into this show, and our question is about Pac-Man. Now, what I like about this question that they ask, it is not how many ghosts are there in Pac-Man. It's how many ghosts are there in Pac-Man. A... Are there three ghosts, or B, are there four ghosts? John, you buzzed first. Four ghosts. You got it. Where's the plural? It's ghosts, if there's more than one of them. Mate, it's just an extension of the whole aluminum-aluminium thing. <laughs> yeah. But John gets it right again, and he chooses the game Tutankham. Trittenham. Trittenham? You got it. Or Trittenham, as he calls it. Trittenham. Okay, another new game. Kevin, you smooth-voiced son of a gun. Lay the rap on us. It's Tutankham, and you're traveling through the pyramid searching for the hidden treasure. Fire on the nasties trying to catch you and make points. When the nasties are in hot pursuit, run through the warp zone and the nasties won't follow. Or use the flash to destroy them all at once. Pick up extra points by finding little treasure along the way to the secret door and the treasure beyond. Oh, I like his definition of this. You've got to fire on the nasties as they go around the corners. You can go into warp pipes and stuff if the nasties get too close to you. I'm really liking Kevin. Can we keep him? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is a 1982 game, so this is hot off the presses by the time it features on Starcade. It's another Konami game released by Stern in North America and obviously named after the Egyptian pharaoh Tutankhamun. It combines maze exploration elements along with a shoot-em-up and was another game that didn't stay in the arcade. Parker Brothers converted this to multiple formats. It was received well by audiences and by critics, both in the arcade and the home conversion. The home conversion got released for a number of formats, including the VIC-20. Oh, cool. Yeah, the Atari 2600 also got in on the action. And of course, ColecoVision. Yeah, and I think it's it's a lot like the the Mega Drive and SNES of our current era of uh, Games Master. If it is released in the homes, it is most likely on the 2600 and it is most likely on the ColecoVision. But as the person that got the question right and chose the game, John is going to play first and they're going to be totaling up the points after this round to see who plays in the bonus round. I do like that it's Accumulator. Yeah, that's really nice, actually. So he's going to, to do pretty well on this because he needs to rack up a lot of points in order to catch up with Heidi because obviously she's going to get a go on this as well. And his tactic seems to be to just sort of stay in the corner and wait for the nasties to come to him, which seems pretty sensible, but it seems also like a slow way to rack up points as opposed to going through the exploration side of things. Yeah, because again, and it's actually kind of similar to the first game, 
when Heidi gets her go, she does a little bit of the same, but then also does go, oh, wait, there's a maze. I should explore. He just takes the tactic of, yeah, wait and let them come to me. And it's only actually when he starts to explore that he dies. Yeah. Anytime he moves from that corner. Yeah. And then he dies. And despite getting a few last shots off at the buzzer, he ends his go with 620 points. Oh, what happened there, John? I just got a little rattled. You got a little zapped, huh? (laughs) I want to tell you, you have 620 points. Yeah, I felt bad for him as well, because when he's getting interviewed afterwards, he's just like, I got rattled. I think, you know, it's the pressure of the day got to him. He got a little zapped. Yeah, he was rattling like he was rattling that arcade cabinet playing Time Pilots. He treats this one a lot more gently. So Heidi, like you say, kind of does a similar tactic. She does do a bit more exploring, though. Hilariously, when she goes through the warp, the camera misses where she goes. So all of a sudden, the camera's just focused on nothing. And then it's like, where'd she go? And then the camera tries to find where she's gone to. By the time they found her, she's moved on to another thing. It's... um. And that's when you realize as well that this is being filmed by a camera over someone's shoulder just filming the screen. I wasn't sure if it was camera over shoulder or split video output. So there was another monitor behind the scenes that was replicating what was on the screen and they were just filming that. And it's something I think we actually get in Games Master a couple of times where I'm not sure if they're filming over the shoulder of the people or they're just capturing off of a monitor. I think it happens actually in one of our upcoming season four episodes. There is a game where it's definitely a case of, oh, this is a camera pointing at a TV. It was only because they missed where she went that I assumed that it was just being filmed over her shoulder. But regardless of which way it is, it's very well shot. When John first started playing Time Pilot and we saw him rocking the cabinet, on my first watch through of this, because it, sh- it, you know, it stays on him for quite a while rocking that cabinet, I did think it's like, oh, are we not going to see what the game looks like? Are we not going to see the actual gameplay itself? And then it fades to the gameplay. And I actually think the way that this, this show is shot and put together is actually really smart, particularly for 82. This show looks great for 82, and I love the set, even if it caused them a lot of problems because they have a lot of neon, and neon and 80s arcade machines and the effect that has on electricity and voltage, oh, it doesn't play well. It did create a lot of issues for them but it looks pretty damn spectacular. Credit to Heidi, though. She basically doubles the score that John gets. She ended the round with 1,200 points by the final whistle. And John, at the end of the first round of competition, you have 4,820 points. And Heidi, you have 6,200 points, and you win the first round of competition on Starcade. Stephen King is getting his ass kicked. And that means that Heidi gets to play the bonus round. Now, the way this bonus round works is that she stands in front of a screen and they show her some footage of an arcade game. And then she's then given two options of what the game is. And she's got to correctly guess which game it is. If she gets three of them right, she wins a prize. If she gets four of them right, she wins another prize. Let's find out what those prizes are. Heidi, for three correct answers, the whole band is right in your hand with the Casio VL Tone. Five different instruments, ten rhythms from rock to rumba, and a calculator too. The VL Tone from Casio, where miracles never cease. And for four correct answers, it's ColecoVision, the home video arcade system with effects just like in the arcades. Your vision is our vision. ColecoVision from Coleco. Yeah, the Casio VL Tone is is a pretty cool one, but holy sh**, you win a ColecoVision. That's a great prize. That's ColecoVision (laughs) from Coleco. (laughs) Now, ColecoVisions you can still buy today, like not new, obviously, but they are a fairly uh, standard retro video game item less so over here but certainly in america i was quite taken with the casio vl tone 
And I decided to look it up online and I was shocked by how much some of these go for, but also shocked by how many of them still appear to be available in the box. Yeah. And they still look really good. And for reasons known only to themselves, they haven't got the cigarette yellowing. Yeah, the people who are selling them have taken really good care of them over the years. Oh, you looked them up as well. Oh, well, of course I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One time I was, I was well into finding out a lot of this crap. There's something appealing about it, isn't there? That little yeah. that little Casio, it just it looks like a really classy product. I, I, can't, I can't explain the appeal of it, but it's there. Well, you can play lots of instruments on it, and it's a calculator. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so I'm just reminded of the fact that a scientific calculator has just been released with the Nintendo Switch. Well, you know, you always heard those stories of Beethoven when he was writing up all of his classical music. He would be like, oh, man, but what is that sum? I wish I had something close by to me that I could also do the sum on while I'm writing my classic music. So was that Beethoven? Yes, Beethoven. Beethoven. How'd you like to win those prizes, Heidi? Sure. Okay, let's turn around. Play the game. She doesn't really care. She's going for Annie. Yeah, she doesn't seem massively convinced by the whole thing. She's just like, sure. Like, he asked her a question and she answered in the affirmative. I'm getting real season one vibes off this. (laughs) Richard's having to do the heavy lifting here. Heidi, is this Tron or Space Trek? Tron. Correct. Now, did you get this right, Luke? Yeah, yeah, that's quite clearly Tron, that one. Definitely Tron. Number two, is this Defender or Stargate? Stargate. Yes. Now, she was less convinced on this one, but it is Stargate. She's never seen the film. She's only seen SG-1, <laughs> so that's, that's why. Number three, is this Wild Western or Cowboys and Indians? Cowboys and Indians. No, I'm sorry. Now, I didn't know this one, but I would have had a guest at Wild Western. Well, you'd have been right, but Heidi was wrong. It's just like Cowboys and Indians isn't a name that has jumped out to me as like an arcade game, which is why I just assumed it was Wild Western. Number four, is this Space Duel or Solar Fox? Space Duel. Yep, you got it. And you've got yourself three out of four, right? And that means you've won a Casio VL Tone as a prize. She doesn't have to go looking on eBay. It's a very simple bonus round. It's not, it's not like pretty visually appealing, but it's just, you know, it's, it's simple stuff, I guess. I could see it being very interesting to do today with modern technology and modern games, but I, I kind of dig where they were coming from. They were keeping the format as simple as possible because also they were trying to sell video games as a game show concept in 1982, if it was a hard sell in 1992. And we'll be back with Heidi and John right after these words. Ronald McDonald meets the Fry Gang. The telegram, Ronald. Telegram. The Fry Gang is coming, so you better be brave. A singing telegram. They'll be here at noon, and it's French fries they crave. Oh, my. The The Fry Gang. Don't you know? They're coming. They're here. This calls my famous quick draw. Fries, guys. French fries. Just the French Fry Guys! I knew it all the time. We're all joining the Fry Gang. <laughs> First the Pac-Man eats through a maze of dots. <laughs> then the Pac-Man heads for the corner spots. Then he eats his fill of a power pill. And then all those ghosts turn blue. Boo! And Pac-Man eats them all too. Only Atari makes the Pac-Man home video game, and you can only play it on an Atari video game system. Have you played Atari today? 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. RCA Video Disc. First, we opened your eyes to great entertainment. Now, we're going to open your ears to stereo sound. Introducing RCA's Stereo Video Disc Player, letting you enjoy great stereo entertainment and movies on your TV tonight. Basic players start at $2.99, stereo higher. RCA's Stereo Video Disc. It'll open your eyes and your ears. Buy the player now and get Rocky 3 or Star Trek 2 or Dumbo free. Welcome back to the second round of competition on Starcade with John and Heidi. And we're going to play one more game this round. And whoever has the highest number of points gets to play the bonus round. And don't forget, we still have three games remaining on the program. And behind one of those games is a bonus prize. You call the game, and you might just win that bonus prize. And don't forget, one of you hopefully will go home today with your very own Eyes video arcade game. We're about eight minutes into the show, and we've had two smegging outbreaks already. Wait, have you ever seen an episode of Star Trek in the States? Oh, oh yeah. Like, uh, my mind was blown when I watched TV in the States for the first time. When I went, like, the first time I went to the States, it was in 98. And I watched an episode of The Simpsons on TV. And they played the opening credits of The Simpsons. And then there was an ad break. And I was like, what? What do you mean there's an ad break now? And, like, it's when listening to Talking Simpsons now, and they talk about the three ad breaks that come within the show. And, like, you know, you get an ad break for each act. Where I'm, hey, I mean, I'm used to watching it on BBC where there are no ad breaks, but like, there's almost feels like there's a that when you watch it on Channel Four, there's a midpoint for where the ad break goes in, as opposed to like it doesn't feel like there's that three act structure with the ad breaks going in them. See, for me, it's always the case of I think of things like the X Files or Star or Star Trek or um, the one that I watched quite a bit of the one time I was stateside was the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. And it was watching that American television that really made me understand the concept of a cold open. Because those hour-long shows in particular, you get a scene or a segment, then the ad break, then the title music, and then you might get a bit of the show or you might get another ad break. It depends how long your title sequence is. But I never quite understood why you would um, have scene, title sequence, story. Because in British television, it doesn't make much sense. But we do it now Mm. because it's a global market. 
And the crazy thing is we do it now on Netflix original shows, which are very rarely going to go on a commercial television network. But, um, but yeah, we get a lot of commercials in this, in this show. Yay, capitalism. Uh, so we're only playing one game in this round, and it's the winner with the highest score, which will probably be Heidi, is going to get to play the second bonus round. When the mother kangaroo rescues her baby in the game Kangaroo, what song plays? Is it A, Happy Days Are Here Again, or B, Oh Susanna? John? B, Oh Susanna. You got it. And he then picks Burger Time, which is the game of the collections that we've got here is the one that I know the most. I mean, Burger Time is still rocking around today yeah. in various forms and various ports. But just in case you're listening and you haven't heard of it, Kevin, how do they play? Build a burger. Help Chef Peter Pepper collect patties, cheese, lettuce, and buns. For bonus points, catch the pursuing hot dog, egg, and pickle in the burger. And if you can't catch them, immobilize them briefly by shaking pepper their way. Complete a burger on the platter and feast on your success. It's burger time. It's burger time. It's a data east game where the player plays as Peter Pepper, who must walk over hamburger ingredients located across a maze of platforms while avoiding pursuing characters most of whom I would imagine kind of infringe on various health and safety ratings. Burger Time's a very fun game to play. It's really, really good. And like, that's one of the reasons why, like you said, then it's still banging around today. It's because it's insanely playable. When I was in New York a few years back, we went to a barcade and they had a copy of Burger Time there and everything was set to free play. And it was the game that I got sucked into the most. That and Frogger, funnily enough. I really got into playing Frogger. It's a fun little game that... But I played this shit out some burger time. I mean, they're quick to pick up, hard to put down. That was the key to those early arcade games. Yeah. But this game, in addition to being in the arcade, it also got released for the Intellivision, for the Atari 2600, for the IBM PC, the Apple II, and the Aquarius. Mattel released it for ColecoVision, which was distributed by Coleco. And then Daytrees themselves produced it for a number of other platforms, including the Famicom and the MSX. And of course, in America and Europe, the NES. So now John's got 30 seconds this time, as opposed to the 40 that we had uh, in Time Pilot. And he takes a death like about halfway through. That's about 15 seconds in, he takes a death with only 200 points. Bearing in mind that he's like 1,200 points behind Heidi at this point. He's only racked up 200 points with half of his time gone. And he then takes another death with three seconds. And he has 500 points right at the end there. He is for sure not winning. Yeah, he's not too happy with his score. He doesn't think he's as good as a chef as he thought he was. Mark humors him and says, he's funny. But you know what's not funny, Luke? That 500-point score. Ooh, sick burn. It is not, is it? Like, it's, yeah, he is gutted as well. That, and this is where I start to think that he was a bit of a ringer. Um, but, like, the more, like, I've, I've watched it a couple of times now, and now that we're sat here talking about it, I'm wondering if it's a case of just, as he said after the Tutankhamen game, the nerves just got the better of him, and it's just sort of rattled him while he's trying to play. Heidi, though, she's up next, and she's a pro. Maybe she can beat 500 points in 30 seconds. The clock starts. Heidi's off and running. And 15 seconds in, she's beaten John's score. Yep, 700 points with 15 seconds left on the clock. She does die a couple of times, but this is on free play. It doesn't matter. 
800 points at the end. She wins the round and she's going on to that bonus round again. Man, she's going to have a armful of prizes to take home at this rate. I was going to say, she's already got the VL tone. Eyes is on the table and she's about to win some more fabulous prizes. But what are those fabulous prizes? Heidi, three correct answers gives you the tabletop version of Midway's Pac-Man, complete with joystick control and even shows best score. The arcade game you take home with you, Midway's Pac-Man by Coleco. And for four correct answers, it's the Texas Instruments home computer for education, home finance, and entertainment. It's not just for playing, it's also for learning. A home computer furnished by Texas Instruments. These fabulous prizes are very fabulous because it's the tabletop version of Pac-Man, which we spoke about earlier. It's the arcade game you can take home with you from Coleco. Who's that from again, Luke? From Coleco. Oh, Coleco, <laughs> the makers of ColecoVision. <laughs> And if you get four of them right, you get to take home. Get this, the Texas Instruments Home Computer for Education, Home Finance, and Entertainment. It's not just for playing, it's for learning. Bollocks, mate. That's just going to be used for games. Yeah, totally. These prizes are massive, though. That The tabletop Pac-Man in and of itself, like, you almost, like, yeah, four, you get to take home a home computer. But yeah, three, you're taking home Pac-Man. I'd, I'd throw one. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Like, do we get just the Pac-Man, or like, if we get three and four, do we get Pac-Man and the computer? I think you just get one. Oh, then in which case, I'm throwing this to get that Pac-Man arcade cabinets. If you get that Texas home computer, your parents are going to expect you to use it for homework. If you get Pac-Man, the parents can't expect anything other than you to play Pac-Man, and they will resent you doing that because that thing will eat batteries alive. She's got a few like. I iconic games as well to pick out from here like you know it's defender is the first one which she gets right donkey kong jr is the second one and the pit is the third and it's only on that final one where it's like is it reactor or is it star reactor and like that is all oh, like right there if you don't know that is a proper like fifth like it, you essentially almost said the right thing i reckon she knew the right one and she was just going Wait, no, I want the Pac-Man. Oh, oh, no. Oh, no, I got it wrong. I don't get the computer I can use for homework. Darn. Oh, no. Oh, gee willikers. Well, that's it. I've written my notes here. She wins the tabletop Pac-Man, which is the better prize. And the best thing is she can play that tabletop Pac-Man and then play the Pac-Man jingle on the Casio <laughs> keyboard. And then she can calculate how many AA batteries she's burning through using the calculator function. These are the prizes that keep on giving. But you know what, Ash? I don't think I've had enough things sold to me yet. I think we may need another ad break. No, I'm sorry, it's not. But turn around anyway, and you've won yourself a prize. You at least got three out of four, right? And you have yourself a tabletop Pac-Man for your efforts. And we'll be back with more of Heidi and John and to see who gets to play for the very own Eyes video arcade game following these words.
especially for systems from Atari. The video game that lets you help E.T. get home. Just in time for Christmas. Happy Holidays from Atari. Mr. Arcade, I need help. My husband won't come home. Pac-Man, I can help. Get him, Pac-Man! Stand back. This is the official tabletop version of Midway's Pac-Man. It looks the same. And it plays the same. Monsters, power capsules, sounds, even displays best score. And best of all... You can take Pac-Man home. Official Midway Pac-Man for one or two players. The arcade game you can take home with you from Coleco. For the first time in his life, he's struggling, having a hard time in math. He needs help. He can get that help with the home computer from Texas Instruments. It has more educational cartridges than any other computer. They challenge, encourage, make learning fun. The home computer from Texas Instruments. It can give your child a head start in school that could last a lifetime. To our final part of Star K today, and let me say to you, John and Heidi, nobody picked the game that has the bonus prize attached to it, and that happened to be Swimmer. If you had picked that game, you would have won a bonus prize. Boy, howdy, Luke. I do like adverts and being <laughs> sold things. Yay, capitalism. <laughs> but we're in the final part of the show, and Mark reveals that no one picked the game that had the bonus prize, and that was Swimmer. But there's more bad news, and it's for John mainly. He's got 5,320 points, but Heidi has schooled him and has 7,000 points. So now she gets to play for her own video arcade game. Now, do you think that she picked Swimmer here because we were told that Swimmer is the one that had the bonus prize on it? And she was like, well, if I pick Swimmer, do I also get the bonus prize? I just reckon she chose it because it was the first one named, probably. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was named. It, was, it wasn't because it had the bonus prize. It's because Richard had just said Swimmer. And so she just went, a swimmer well it's either that or because like we get told what the parameters are like if you pick swimmer you've got to beat 310 points but if you pick blueprint you've got to beat 2260 points so do you think it's a case of just like, well i'm picking swimmer because 310 sounds way more easy to get than 2000 odds on some level i see where she's coming from but also if 20 games players could only score 310 points that could indicate that swimmer is a little bit nails. Which we'll find out about once we've heard from Kevin. Dive in and paddle your way upstream, avoiding driftwood and curious snapping turtles, scoring points as you go. Gather up the floating fruit for bonus points, but be ready to hold your breath and dive to elude the dangers of the river. Come on in, the water's fine. You're the swimmer. Dive on in. The water's fine. He is tremendous. Oh, I'm going to miss him, Luke. <laughs> yeah, like, basically, the way to win this game, in the time that you've got here, because you haven't got a lot of time on the clock, the way to win this and to get over 310 points is to pick up the bonus fruits. Like, that's the only way that you're winning this challenge. Yeah, and the game itself, it kind of reminds me of a reverse tubing. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Tubin was down the river. Yep. And this is up the river. That's that's all I've really got for it. Oh, you have a dive button. That's kind of cool. Yeah, which you do need to go underneath some of the logs. Or dodge enemies, which yeah. I'm like, that, that's actually a pretty cool game mechanic. I like that. that. That's nifty. That's pretty innovative. It's also the sort of thing that will trip you up when you're playing as well. 
because you've got like two buttons there, you may press the wrong one and you get panicked and you press the wrong thing. I think it's quite nice, actually. I think that's a really good mechanic. But Mark reiterates that if she beats the median high score, she gets her own Eyes arcade game. And that the fruit is worth between 200 and 400 points. So get that fruit is the immediate thing. And like, this is actually quite a tense final challenge. I really like that because like she dies immediately. So already you're kind of like you're on the back foot and you're already a bit worried for it. Because as we've said, when you die, you've got to have the ready player one thing come up on screen and wait for that to finish while your clock is running down. She recovers well to get up to 210 points with about 15 seconds left. But it's just like it feels like she's slowly, slowly building. It's like there's eight seconds left on the clock and she's at 260 points. That means in that seven second period, she only managed to get 50 points. She needs a way more. And all of a sudden, a bit of fruit appears and she just launches herself towards that fruit and she gets it. And like by doing so, she gets killed, but it does not matter because that fruit pushes her to 430 points and she wins the challenge. Yep. Wins the challenge, wins the arcade game. She's now got an arcade game, a tabletop Pac-Man, a Casio keyboard, an audition for Annie, and the knowledge that she kicked Stephen King's ass. Heidi, let's take a look. Did you or did you not? Yes, you did. You have 430 points, and the Eyes Video Arcade game is yours. You got your mom, your dad, your brother, everybody here. Come on down, John. Congratulate Heidi, won't you? Good to you. And her parents must have been, because her parents join her on stage, which is adorable and very wholesome. And John joins them on stage as well with someone that could be his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. Could be girlfriend, could be sister. Difficult to get a reading on, to be honest. And then we get what is a wonderful insight into American television. Because if you've thought to yourself, bloody hell, there's been a lot of adverts in this show. We've had a lot of ad breaks. And actually, the content of the TV show itself has felt like an extended version of an ad break. The last 90 seconds of this show is more ad breaks, essentially. It's basically them just advertising all of the shit that happened on this show, including where the suits came from and where his haircut was done. Who drove them there? Some transportation furnished by budget rent-a-car where you get low rates and great service. Hotel accommodations for Starcade staff furnished by the elegant Grosvenor Inn Civic Center in San Francisco. Chauffeured service furnished by Vista Limousine of San Francisco. Portions of the Starcade set were furnished by RCA. Hairstyling by Shay Peter and Mr. Richard's wardrobe furnished by the tailored man of San Francisco. The final part of the show is basically like the challenge portion of it is like two minutes. And then there is nearly the same length of time being like, here are some companies go and buy their crap. But there is a silver lining to this, Luke, because it's a pure 90 seconds of our silky toned <laughs> bastard Kevin <laughs> telling us about budget rent-a-car, Grosvenor Inn, Civic Center, San Francisco, Vista Limousine, RCA, Shays Peter, and the tailored man of San Francisco. And then we get a list of just like, and here are some of the companies that have provided stuff to us, which is like, it's almost a who's who as well of like arcade names from the time. It's like, it's Atari, Bally Midway, Casio, Coleco. Could do a Coleco on this show. Uh, Gottlieb, Data East, Nintendo, Parker Brothers, RCA, Sega, Gremlin, Taito, Williams. Like it is literally like the names of the arcade scene. Can you imagine if Games Master had to list all those people? I mean, we know in the past they've listed where they've got arcade machines from and stuff like that, because you see those pop up in some of the earlier series. But, you know, 
we've had a fair bit of product placement in the last series of Games Master. Spoilers for Series 4. You can tell which games are there as a product placement. They're the ones with the features attached to them. Oh, yeah. But wow, I, I, yeah, I can't imagine them listing them in this way. But to be honest, at least there is a degree of honesty to Starcade. That's what I was going to say. Like American television is heavy with product placements, but they are always upfront about that product placement. It wasn't until like, what, a few years ago? maybe five, seven years ago, that the law was passed here in the UK that TV shows had to say that they've got product placement on their shows. That little P comes up in the corner to tell you that there's product placement there. And even then, it only really tends to appear on like live TV, like, you know, um, a Saturday morning show on uh, ITV1 or something on Channel 4 or something will tell you that there's some product placement in this show. But that's a very recent development here in the UK. I mean, this will dead give away when we recorded this, but I was watching the uh, TV show where Johnny Vegas is setting up a glamping yeah, site. Yeah, carry on glamping. Which I'm just like, I am I am on board for this because one, I do like kind of quirky campsites. Not so much the term glamping. I have an issue with the term glamping. But I like just going to a field and staying, not necessarily in a tent, but something a bit weird. That's mm-hmm. kind of cool. And I love Johnny Vegas. And the concept of just watching him have nervous breakdowns trying to assemble a bus. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's junk food television for me. But he was staying in like a little bus and they had to blur a poster behind him. And it's a poster I've seen often enough that I know exactly what it was for. They had to blur a poster for Amelie. And wow. also, I mean, well, I get, okay, you know, they're, they're not going to get paid sponsorship for that. So they have to blur it. That's fine. Why is there a random poster for Amelie just in the background? It's not even actually in the caravan. It's on a surface visible through one of the windows from the caravan. Yeah. But that was a JM production. <laughs> and that was Starcade. Yeah, it was... I, I, oh man, was it a good show? It's not a good show. It is a good show. It's not great. But like, it, I, I found it to be a very fun watch because like it is a pure window into not only just American TV, but also the video game scene of the 1980s, the early 1980s. You know, this is pre-Crash, pre-Nintendo. This is pre-Nintendo Entertainment System. So it was a lovely snapshot of that. And that was fascinating to watch. As a format of a show, it's very standard. And like the, the comparison I gave earlier to that, that episode of Friends, it really does feel like it was just a TV executive, probably Ted Turner, when it was like, this is far too complicated, make it simpler. And I think by making it simpler, it's less interesting. And whether or not, I mean, if you're in the arcade scene, you probably would have like loved watching this because you get to watch arcade games on TV every single week, kind of the same with Games Master was in the 90s. So from that aspect, I did enjoy it. And it's very American. It's very advert heavy. What did, what did you make of it? I legitimately loved this. <laughs> I, I just, I had a blast with it. I watched, it's a very simple format for a show. Note taking was an absolute breeze, particularly so that. This was such a palate cleanser after the last 26 weeks. I probably needed to watch it twice to get all my notes down. First pass, just taking down the names of the games and like kind of the ones in the questions and stuff like that. Then I fill in my notes with doing a bit of research online. And then my second pass is my flavor, kind of like my impressions of the actual action on the screen. I then watched it a third time because I just wanted to enjoy it because it is very silly. It's very American. It's very 1980s. And I watched a handful of other Starcade episodes, and I'll go on record now. 
I wouldn't mind looking at another couple down the line, maybe looking at slightly different periods because we are in a very interesting time for games where we hit a crash and then we start to come out the other side. And it could be a very cool way to kind of get a feel for how video games were being perceived on television in America. It didn't feel like a long show. It breezed oh, no. along, but without feeling rushed. They just went from point A to point B to point C to point D. They, I mean, this was the, the fourth attempt at making the show, so they should have had it put down pat by that point. But but no, I really enjoyed this. All of these episodes are up on YouTube. Uh, there's an actual Starcade YouTube channel, and I recommend you go and check them out. Grab this episode, grab another one, maybe look for one that's got games on it that might be of interest. But it's a fascinating look at an early form of competitive televised gaming. And I'm glad we covered it because we've had quite a lot of people over various times say Games Master was the first video game television show or video game television game show. And we may have even said it at a couple of points, but it wasn't. And I think because it was American-centric... Starcade's place in history is very much underrated on a global scale. I would argue that more people probably know about Games Master globally than do about Starcade at this point. Because yeah. Games Master certainly got more presence on the internet. If someone tried to launch a Starcade book, it wouldn't be getting like two to three times its original budget. Yeah, Starcade is a show that I essentially discovered via doing this podcast when like I'm posting about it up on Twitter or something and people go in touch with me and say like, oh, have you ever seen Starcade before? It's like our American version of it, like from any American followers that I've got. And that was like my first introduction to be like, oh no, I haven't. So I looked and I was like, oh wow. Like you look at when this was made. It's like it predates Games Master by a decade. And I'm really glad that we sat down to watch an episode of it. Like you say, also, it's a lovely palette cleanser. It's a breeze to watch. It's such easy watching. I haven't watched any other episodes of it, but it may be the case of when I'm editing the next episode of UCP, I may just have it on on the iPad just running next to me because I like to have things on there. It's usually Ramsey's Kitchen Nightmares USA, but I might go for a different American flavor and go with some Starcade instead. Because it is very easy watching. And I, if you haven't watched the episode, I'd recommend you go out and watch this one. And you'll probably then want to watch, check out a few others as well. It's not, yeah, like I said, it's not great TV. It's not like I wouldn't want to do a full podcast on it, but I would probably check out a, a few other episodes. Might you be up for covering another episode down the line? Yeah, I think so. I would particularly because like the show runs until like you know the mid 80s and stuff i would love to check it out like the mid 80s arcade scene i think would be fascinating to look at yeah 1984 is when it wraps up so we've got we've, we've got we got this one from 1982 and then we've got yeah two other years to pick from and things change it will also be interesting to see what happens with the prizes and the host change as well. So we'll be able to see like, you know, a, a much different side to Starcade. And it seems like, you know, if the format remained the same or anything like that. So I would I would very much be up for, for looking at this, whether that comes in like our main timeline or whether we do that as a UCP extra or something. But I'd, be, I'd very much be up for it. But I think that is going to wrap it up for this little side quest looking at Starcade. Thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. You can find us on Twitter at underconsolepod. You can find us on Instagram at under.console. And you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com. And if you fancy a bit of real-time interaction, you want to chat with us, you want to chat with other fans of Games Master, gaming, retro gaming, or under consultation, you can join us on our Discord which has a lovely group of people. They're all being supportive. They're all being wonderful. 
We've got memes being shared. We've got information about Enola Holmes returning. Oh, the uh, the Sherlock Holmes thing on Netflix. Yeah, uh, apparently the adventures continue as Millie Bobby Brown and Henry Cavill return to the world of Enola Holmes. So there we go. What did catch my eye, though, was um, the uh, Games Master made of cardboards because that chap has done some... Like, his Sonic movie is amazing. Really, really cool. Um, so I'm very curious to see what the Games Master the cardboard games master will look like i love anything like that of like let's make a cardboard this let's do a low budget this let's make you know remake this uh i'm a big fan of any project like that i love the indiana jones full movie um what's it called raiders isn't that the one or oh yeah yeah yeah. the fan film yeah 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 yeah. i anything like that i'm just a big fan of they did a documentary about that like the Mm. missing scene that they couldn't film when they were trying to like make it when they were kids it's so good. Yeah, they went back. Uh, yeah, and spoilers, they did eventually get to film it. And you can support this podcast monetarily over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod, where you'll get access to under console nation, which is a bit like this, really, where we take the UCP style and we apply it to other TV shows. We've done Funhouse, Nightmare, Finders, Keepers, The Real Ghostbusters, Press Gang. Um, by the time you'll have heard this, you may or it may be on its way. Uh, look at Earthworm Jim, the cartoon series that accompanied the video game that came out you'll also get access to our community podcast under console nation where we get together and just have a chat and answer your questions if you back us at the five pound level you get next week's show one week early and ad free and at the 10 pound level you get a little extra bonus ash what do they get oh they get a goodie pack uh, there's no coleco vision in it sadly but there is a patreon exclusive mug Patreon exclusive stickers and badges retro trading cards at the moment it's the original power rangers retro sweeties and £5 off our Under Consultation t-shirt, which can be bought along with other mugs, stickers and badges on our website, underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Xanderthal, William, Simon, Sean, Robert, Rich, Nick, Misha, Matt, Joe, Jason, Jamie, Gordon, David Palmer, David Fisher, Colin, Cliff, Carol, Alexis, Adam Warrington, and Adam D. Thank you all so much for listening. We will be back in seven days time with kind of a something we've not done before, which is essentially a pre-series episode. So we're going to take a basically look ahead to what series four is we're going to look at the months we missed in between series three and series four look at games master magazine which has got some interviews with not only dominic diamond but also patrick moore and kind of get a bit of a flavor of the period of time that we've missed before series four starts again normally we just tack it on to the beginning of episode one but a lot happens in a very short space of time and so yeah, we're going to we're going to be taking a look at the summer of 1994. But until then, take care everyone. ColecoVision.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.